know you guys are going to enjoy the sun and the fun and all the spoils of South Florida, but we also know you three kings came down here to win championships. Not one, championships. Not two. LeBron, tell us about that. Not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. Summer 2010, LeBron, his decision, the taking of talents to South Beach, and that proclamation of potentially eight NBA championships. My God, it was all the center of the NBA universe for the entire rest of that year. When Miami came out of the gate slowly, it was all not five, not six, not seven. When Miami started to put it all together, it was all not five. Not six, not seven. The Heatles, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, all of them, the best player on their individual teams, they all get together on one team with Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra and run through the back half of the NBA season. They run through the beginning of the NBA playoffs. This is going to be the king in his coronation. All the Miami Heat had to do was beat the Dallas Mavericks. Now, could the Miami Heat beat the Dallas Mavericks in an NBA Finals? Well, yes. The Miami Heat had just beaten the Dallas Mavericks in 2006. The Mavs were up two games to nothing. But they collapsed. They fell apart and handed Dallas their first NBA championship. So what was going to change all of that this time? What could possibly stop the Heatles? and their high-flying death machine from winning an NBA championship, from winning an NBA ring, from hanging an NBA banner. Viver es mitan Dirk Nowitzki. That was me saying, how about Mr. Dirk Nowitzki in German? Save your notes. It's first ballot. Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. Everyone knows our motto. We don't put shit into our Hall of Fame. That's what it says on the front of the building when you drive up. This podcast has been called the world's best throwback sports podcast. Who said that? I did. I'm your host, Neil, a.k.a. Gotham Coach, a.k.a. the Glass City Cobra, the long-lost Gasol brother, the podcast Jordan Clarkson, half Filipino, half the Jewish, half of Jordan Farmar. As you all know, I'm not the biggest Lakers fan. I am the best Lakers fan. I'm also Mr. Not Always Right But Never Ever Wrong, coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal Office Depot, big and tall, executive suite, desk, chair. The first Ballot Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by... Ball is Life and the Ball is Life Podcast Network. This podcast available to you wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, but it's in all of those places because of the support of Ball is Life. Follow at Ball is Life on all social platforms. Dirk's game winning lefty lay in game two of the 2011 NBA Finals is for sure a great sports moment, but is it a first Bell Hall of Famer? We have to decide that today, and here to help me make that decision, very special guest, 
He's an Emmy-winning director, producer, whose work can be seen all over the place. He's the head of production at 342 Productions with J.J. Redick and Tommy Alter. He used to run video over at Bill Simmons' Ringer, where he show-ran the immortal NBA desktop. He's probably made your favorite viral NBA video. His work's been seen on Crooked Media, The Dan Lebetard Show, Rolling Stone, Grantland, Funny or Die, and more. It's the talented, the perfectly gray-haired, Jason Gallagher, Jason, Thank holy you. shit! No, perfectly great hair. I, 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 I love that. Your you pictures, know. your face, you get the gray hair you got. You're the fucker on the on the Just for Men box. You have perfectly great hair. Well, I appreciate that. I was graying quite early in life, actually, um, and and so much so that um, for my wedding, which I got married when I was 23. Um, the barber was like, do you want me to dye your hair? And I was like, no. So it stayed this kind of gray for a very Amazing. long time. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm waiting for it to turn on me one day because I think it's coming soon. When it when it starts. So you said your graying was starting when uh, what, what age would you say you were started to gray? Honestly, like 23. Wow. Like so were you self-conscious about it at the time? Never, never. Because I also, I also, um, I also don't ever grow a beard. Yes. this is like a rare Got winter it. thing. You, uh, <laughs> it looks fantastic. I'm very jealous because there's a guy who's also graying and 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 losing some hair. I'm not pleased with the way it's going. You know, the thing about graying and losing hair is you look at television and you go, oh, when you lose, when you start to lose your hair or your hair goes gray, it goes like this. But it is not like that at all. It's very not uniform some hair starts jumping off of your head at, at this point and at this age and then these hairs start going gray and it do, it's not a uniform thing any uniformity is generally the sculpting of television folks making it look that way but jason gallagher go look at his picture right now if you're listening to this P google jason gallagher look at his pictures perfectly grayed hair Wow, I, I i i honestly this is this is what i need every morning i need to do this so podcast jealous. every morning so I could feel good about myself. Thank you. Thank very, you. Thank very you. handsome. Appreciate that. I very appreciate good. Looking. My God. Table set for us, Jason. Before we get started here, what's your favorite sport, your favorite team, and your favorite athlete of all time? That's how we'll get to know you. Okay. It might be telling uh, about the uh, moment we're going to talk about. My favorite sport is basketball. My favorite team is the Dallas Mavericks. And my favorite athlete of all time is uh, um Young man from Würzburg, Germany, Dirk Nowitzki. Um, yeah, I just love him to death. He is uh, one of the few NBA players I've never met um, because I'm afraid to a yes. little bit. Um, as a Dallas kid, uh, you know, growing up in the 90s, it was Cowboys everything. And so when you were a Mavericks fan, it was like a very exclusive club yeah. uh, until obviously the arrival of Dirk, the arrival of Mark Cuban. Then things started to pick up steam. But um, you are still to this day, I think, in part of a smaller club. Yes. So uh, it's a very intimate relationship between the Mavericks fans and the Dallas Mavericks. So, uh, yeah, I have a I have a number of follow up questions. The first is, are you then so you mentioned the Cowboys? So you're a Cowboys fan. Are you also a Rangers fan? Are you like Texas Dallas through and through? Texas Dallas through and through with varying degrees of how much I care. Right. I'm a Rangers fan when they're in the World Series. Right. <laughs> Good for you. Congrats. But, but I'm a pretty hardcore Cowboys fan as well. Got so. it. Um, the, the next is, um, did Dirk being German affect your connection to him as a kid? Because how old were you when Dirk sort of came into the league? You were still sort of on the younger side. Yeah, I was definitely young. I was. Did I was, you... Uh, did, 
did you did it did it like did it because he's foreign i mean this is i'm i i don't want to seem like i'm fishing to see if you're a racist or you're like you know uh, a jingoistic american like I don't want to put you on the spot here, but like, was there, were you like, oh, I don't know who this guy is. I didn't get to watch him in college. Was there any of that? Or did you just jump right on board with Dirk? No, it took a minute. Um, when I was a kid, you know, it, it was, it was it, the team that really got me, really got me interested. It was the Steve Nash, Steve Nash, Michael Finley, Dirk Nowitzki right. um, um, group. And Michael Finley was my favorite player. Michael Finley is most people's favorite player. And then when it became apparent that Dirk was actually the one, uh-huh. it just sort of happened naturally. Yeah. Um, you know, whether or not him being German, I, I don't really know. I think his personality is why I like him. I think part of that being that he grew up in Europe and wasn't um, wasn't necessarily good off the bat. Right. Like his story is yeah. very good. Uh, his attitude towards Dallas and his uh, just his overall personality is very infectious. If you follow it closely, he's like a, a great ambassador for Dallas basketball. Can we talk about um, the Dallas Mavericks jerseys? Do you have thoughts on the branding that's happened? Um, the jerseys that the Mavs wear, they, the Mavs have had some of the worst alternate jerseys I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. I, I think, I think they have the worst jerseys I've ever seen in any sport ever. And I th- it was one of these like more recent um, city jerseys or whatever the hell they call them. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's just terrible. But I want to also make the argument that the move to the era of the that the Mavs have now and that the, the jerseys that the Mavs won in 2011, I believe those are decidedly worse than the blue-green cowboy hat, cowboy hat on a ball yeah. branding and jerseys from my childhood, the Mark Aguirre, Rolando Blackman days. That's what I loved, and I have no – I cannot believe that they've moved away from the branding and the jerseys of that era. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, I understand why they did it because they were so bad in the 90s that there right. had to have been like some sort of refresh, like we can't Got be it. carrying yes. this into this era. Right. I will yes. say that I totally – agree with you and anytime i go to another team's uh arena and i look at their like you know merch shop i'm always extremely jealous because i have never i've been a mavericks fan forever i don't yeah. know if i've ever been like that's a cool mavs hat right. or that's yes. a cool mavs shirt because yes. i really i don't think that their branding is particularly stylish or cool it really really you know you it really really um targets sort of the you know mid fifties white dude mm-hmm. is who they're targeting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to a Toronto Raptors game and I was just like seething with jealousy because I was yes. just, all of this stuff is so much cooler than anything yes. we've ever had. Um, yes. Their alternate jerseys are truly, truly garbage. Horrific. And what's, what's awful about that is that the answer for the alternate city jersey is staring them in the face. Get that old blue jersey back. Yes. Like everyone loved that. Yes. Um, it's one of my favorite throwbacks in sort of any NBA thing. It's like, for me, I love that look. But um, for whatever reason, they like to go with like, the, you know, there was one a couple years ago that was sort of a, it looked like graffiti. Yes, that's it. That's the one. Yes. They were trying to say it was like because Dallas, like arts, and I was like, nobody affiliates Dallas with like, graffiti. Like, what are you talking about? Maybe it's a very insular way of looking at it. But then it wound up looking like a Nickelodeon jersey. And oh. it was just 
awful. Oh. And I, I like, I was really harsh so much so that I did hear from some folks in the Mavericks and, and normally I listen and I'm like, okay, you know, I'll yeah, chill yeah. out. That yeah. one, I was like, I will not chill out. This is one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen. It's, it's worse than those old garbage bag jerseys. We used to call them the garbage bag jersey. They were these silver Antoine yes, Walker modeled yes, them off yes. these silver things. This somehow <laughs> topped that in terms of worst jerseys I've ever seen. It's crazy. It's it's it is a special. This is the type of thing we care about on the show. It is a special kind of bad when you don't just have one like really bad like outlier like those graffiti jerseys, which I swear to me for my money, those are the worst jerseys I've ever seen in any sport ever in my life. And you also have those trash bags, which I had forgotten about. Yeah. I feel like I've seen like Brian Cardinal in that trash bag jersey, and they are truly specially bad yeah and and it's so bad that whenever the mavericks do come out with a city jersey and it's extremely yeah. boring the fans yeah. are like thank god they didn't go for the fences because <laughs> everybody they do it sucks <laughs> i want to join you just for a second because as a laker fan again though i'm not the biggest lakers fan i am a, i am very much so the best lakers fan the purple and yeah i don't wear purple or yellow yeah as a uh guy which I don't want to dismiss guys that can wear purple and yellow. I just can't pull it off. It has more to do with me specifically. I'm not saying guys can't wear purple or yellow. I'm saying I don't wear them. I can't wear purple and yellow. So when I see a good Lakers hat, it is 100 times out of 100 black. Yeah. I'm wearing one right now. 100 times out of 100. I do not own purple or yellow Lakers hats because I cannot pull them off. Yeah. It is my it is my issue. And the Lakers just played the Raptors as we're recording this. The Lakers just played the Raptors last night. You look at the Raptors playing, they always look fantastic. Holy mackerel. It is it is difficult to to think about. Um I I would say my other jersey thing, I like to bring this up whenever I'm talking about jerseys. That LeBron came back with those calves and that he had the block in those sleeve jerseys. I will never forgive the NBA for doing that. I don't know who was behind that decision. I don't know who couldn't have talked them out of it, but that he's in that goddamn sleeve jersey for that moment will forever. We've not done the block on the on the podcast yet. It's coming. That's crazy. It's coming. It's going to be a great episode. When we do that episode, I need 15 minutes to talk about the motherfucker who made the decision to let them wear those goddamn sleeve jerseys. Yeah, I, I'm very curious about that too. And I'm I'm actually curious that, like why the players association didn't put up more of a fight because you would think it would, it was somewhat restrictive and maybe it wasn't, but if I played my entire life in a Jersey, then all of a sudden they're like, wear a t-shirt. I think I would be very uncomfortable. Um, it's a great, it's a crazy thing. I, I've tried to think to myself, why would they do that? And a part of the, my, my only answer was like, they were somehow trying to appeal to like an international audience that like, right. I have no idea though. It's yeah. it's, it's actually kind of crazy. When it was a Christmas Day thing, I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Put them in scarves. I don't care. Right. But, <laughs> um, but the fact that it's like a finals moment is great. <laughs> You're right. It it may have been. I wonder, like, what I wonder if maybe their thinking was, if these these sleeve jerseys uh, are popular, people will buy them and wear them as clothes. Like, I mean, I, I, it seems in insane i guess it, you know what's not insane and the reason why i would say it's not insane is that i think soccer jerseys are the best things to right. wear casually and right. so maybe there was a world in which they were like this could yes. be something like yep. that because i know You're right 
I am not a jersey guy, and I know plenty of people that are not, but I would wear a soccer jersey, and I think a yes, lot of people yeah. would because there's like yep. a there's a vibe to it. Um, mm. These jerseys were not it, though. Giant C on the chest, not it. <laughs> T- terrible. Not it. My God. Uh, uh, it, and and you're, the 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 moment I played poorly in a sleeve jersey, you couldn't convince me it wasn't because of the sleeve jersey played a part in it. Yeah. The second I have a bad game, I'm like this fucking jersey, this goddamn jersey. Undoubtedly, and maybe that says more about me than it does about anything else. But I would have blamed it. I I it does it does seem like. In the in-season tournament, I guess LeBron had threw a fit about not being able to to, to finish the in-season tournament in those new, I think, not great uh, black Lakers uh, uniforms. I wonder how much of him gets tied to, hey, we're doing well and we're wearing these things, so let's just keep this mm. trend rolling. And that's how they ended up with sleeve jerseys and one of the greatest moments in NBA history. It, it, motherfuckers in a sleeve jersey with a C on the front. I think it adds to his legacy, though. The fact that he did that in <laughs> did it through the jersey. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the angle maybe that's yeah. the angle adds to his greatness uh all right we uh you, your work i see it all over the place uh you you're the, the one that's on the timeline now that's moving very well there's a few good takes your few good men piece that you did with jj Reddick cut together jj has openly publicly said it's the, his favorite piece of work of yours i appreciate that but i want to be clear J.J. Redick does not pay the bills around here. Do you hear what I'm fucking saying? J.J. Redick, it's your favorite work. That's congratulations. It's not mine. I don't care what J.J. Redick says until he's on the show, and then I'll care about everything he says. But for the time being, J.J. Redick's not on the show. He doesn't pay the bills. This is my call. My favorite work of yours is you did, you cut together a Nikola Jokic post-game presser. He gets asked about his stat line. You cut it to the to the music and the scenes of a few uh no, not a few good men. Uh, Independence Day. Independence Day, yeah. I, you know what? I'm gonna play it. This is a terrible decision. This makes no sense as a podcast. You can't see it, but I'm gonna play it. Here we go. You're the fourth player in NBA Finals history to record the line that you had today, joining like LeBron, uh KD and Tim Duncan. Uh what do what do you think about when you hear that? It's not a big 23, 12, and 4. <laughs> Whatever, the 23, 10, and 4. Oh. I mean, I don't know. Nice. It's good. Uh, I mean, I don't, really don't, know, don't know what to say. <laughs> You have to see it. It'll be on our socials at First Ballot Pod on Twitter at First Ballot HOF on Instagram. It's so funny. It's my favorite thing you've ever done. It's so funny. Well, okay. So a couple things. One, I don't know if this, whenever this show grows to be just a worldwide multimedia conglomerate, you got to do a, a presser's version of the Hall of Fame thing because, or First Ballot thing, because I genuinely think that is. Weirdly, my favorite press conference ever. His face, he's trying to go along with it. As he's hearing it, he's like, what is happening? And and I'm not kidding when I say, I mean, I have a text from JJ like two months ago where I'm like, I think I watch this once a week. I think it's so good and so funny and his reaction so natural. And like, he's not trying to be do a bit. He's literally trying to get on the same page. And he's like, is this for real? Yes. Second thing is I have done the bit with the Independence Day music uh, a few times, actually. <laughs> and I always do it to really inspiring speeches. The first time I ever did it was to David Fisdell. 
he's sort of talking about take that for data. I don't know if you remember right. that speech. I but, do, yeah, yeah. But I put it to that and that blew up. But this was sort of the anti of that. Yes. Like yes. the most uninspiring speech I've ever heard. Um, and I just thought it was it was funny. And I love making little internet videos like that. Um, yeah. The thumbs up, the thumbs up at the end of that tells me everything I need to know about Jason Gallagher, that you waited and ha you didn't have that music crescendo you know, after he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You waited for the thumbs up and it makes the whole goddamn thing. It's, it's just super funny. I, I really enjoy it. I, I have it saved to my desktop. It's like one of those things that I'll like download from the internet. Cause I go, I need this in case fucking, you know, the internet explodes. Yeah. Um, you work with JJ and Tommy Alter. Uh, when Binyama was on the show and said attack of the clones was his second favorite star Wars film. You're in the room when that happens. Do you barf? What happens? Are you ill when that happens? No, um, I, th I think there's a couple things we have to keep in mind. One, um, he's much younger than you and I. Yes. And right. yes. nostalgia is a drug, and that is his nostalgia. You know what right. I mean? You can't hate it. If I were to ask you right. what, you know, some of the kids' movies we liked and watched as a kid were right. pretty yep. garbage. Um, yep. So, you know, but, but it's also a different, you know, those original Star Wars, while revolutionary to us, it's a different pace. Like, my son... He has a hard time with those originals because it does move at a much slower Very pace slow. than what his brain is used to. So um, I don't hate him for it. I when he said I was like very proud. I was like this kid has a career when he said yeah. the like <laughs> you're very measured. I appreciate you not coming out and just nailing Wembenyana to a cross uh, because it was it's there to do. Do you remember the scene in Attack of the Clones where? He, they're in the field and he's riding on whatever that big fat thing is uh, and he jumps off and they start laughing in the field. Do you remember that scene? Of course. It's Your thoughts on that scene? Uh, yeah, that's one of the worst scenes ever. And I, George Lucas, <laughs> okay, okay, stay okay. away from love. He should also stay away from like green screens. Like yes. that I think as a as a producer, that's I genuinely think that I could set up a green screen in my room and it would look better than that. It's so his overuse of the green screen in that. It's actually like quite fascinating. And I would almost want to see a redoing of Someone the whole redo thing. It. Yes. Because when you when you say the plot out loud and when you say what's happening out loud, it's actually right. amazing. Yes. But it's kind of sucks. Yeah, it's. I've never considered that. I wonder if someday someone will remake all of them. Yeah, I mean, it's such a fascinating. It's. It is a genuinely fascinating uh, story if you care about it. But it's. I think it's. It's just a big. It's a big miss personally. You. It's clear you're a big movie guy. It's clear though you're also uh, into music. That you. You do a lot of musical things. A lot of musical comedy. Do you have a, like a musical background? A musical theater background at all? Um, so when I was in college, I dropped out of college and I went to Second City um, to do comedy there. And I quickly realized I'm not super great on stage, um, mm. but everyone who moved there was very good on stage. And so what I decided to do was to uh, write stuff and then also produce stuff. And so I started putting on, me and a buddy were putting on performances and then we co-wrote a musical, two and a half mm. hour long musical called NBA Lockout, the musical. And it's about... Uh, it's about a labor dispute. Um, uh, and it is two and a half hours and it is on Spotify <laughs> and it is, uh, it was quite the experience. It ran for two months and then it ran the following summer. Um, they debated on around the horn, whether or not this musical would make it to Broadway, which is incredible. 
um, because neither of them had seen it or yeah, heard yeah. it or anything. And Woody Page <laughs> just fucking killed us. It was like, there's no way. And I was like, Woody, shout out Woody Page. He was right. It did not make it to Broadway. But we, we, uh, we actually used that soundbite on our, on our posters. We were just like, we'll never make it to Broadway, Woody Page. <laughs> uh, but it got written about a lot. That was kind of my entry point into sports media. It's how um, I got to meet some of the ESPN folks, uh, which ultimately led to me meeting Bill. Um, so that musical was weirdly my entry point into all of this. Um, Fascinating. How did you get from leaving college to this very specific career that seems to touch on all of the things that you're passionate about? Um, well, you know, for me, what I'm passionate about is is entertaining folks. And I actually mm. have like a deep, it plays a little bit into the the, the moment we're, we're talking about is I have a deep love of uh, sports, specifically basketball, because I think it's just such good theater. And I've always mm. said that. That was like my first big takeaway. And I am somebody who does like to think about legacy, maybe not in the same way that Skip Bayless does, but I do like to think about legacy. Um, and I kind of tend to think that like a thousand years from now, like LeBron, James, Michael Jordan, these will be like the Shakespeare's of our time mm -hmm. um, because what they're doing, the vulnerability of being called the best and then going out every single night and putting yourself out there is just a really special thing. And so I've always loved sports. I've always known I wanted to entertain people through sports. Like I have always known that. And um, how that happens, I, I, you know, that that's the part where when people ask me for advice, I, I really took a, like a funneled approach. So uh, I wrote that musical and then I started writing, I started writing for Grantland and I started writing for all sorts of places just to get some notoriety. But uh, a very interesting sort of special thing happened. They were like uh, they cut ties with all their um, their their freelance writers and they were like. Uh, you know, we don't need you anymore. I don't know if it was cost cutting or whatever, but I kind of panicked because I was like, oh shit, this is like my only uh, opportunity in sort of the media space. And so I um, sent an email kind of on, on a whim that was just like, do you need multimedia help? And they were like, actually, yes. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, great. I will do whatever you need. And I actually started being Zach Lowe's, like uh, he used to do gifts in his column and I used mm -hmm. to make them for him. And they used to pay wow. me, they used to pay me like, $500 a gift. Wow. <laughs> it was like the most money I ever made in my life. And um, cause they, no one knew how to do it. And it was yeah. so funny. So uh, anyways, um, the point is I kept lying. I kept saying I have all this experience and I didn't. Um, and I would just, that, that was also the time where I got the least amount of sleep in my life. Cause I would work my day job as a salesperson yeah. and at night. Yeah. I would learn multimedia on YouTube and on the internet and stuff like that. And so when I saw that there was that sort of hole in the space where it was like, there's not enough people using multimedia. Uh, it, it allowed me to, to mm. showcase my, my sense of humor, my desire to storytell through dumb things like the Jokic video and all that other stuff. And, um, and yeah, and then I started to get more serious into it at the ringer. Um, and then strategically, I just saw a lot of value of the internet and YouTube. And I, I weirdly think that the, um, pandemic was fortunate for my career just simply mm. because people had to go to lo-fi and I'm a lo-fi yep. guy. Right. Um, and so then I became like this commodity. Um, and then, and then, yeah, now I'm here and now I'm, uh, you know, we're working on some streaming things. I'm finally kind of getting into that world where it's a, actually a little higher production. 
Um, so that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's kind of where we are right now. I know that was a long winded answer, but that's how it wasn't long winded. I appreciate hearing it, and I do. I I I don't know that you think this way. I it's hard to sort of sometimes step out of yourself and and consider things like this. But I feel like everyone that's listening to this podcast would probably kill you and take your career if they could. Like that, 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 that's the people that listen to this show, look at you and the work that you do and the fact that you're paid for that work and go, God damn, that seems like a dream job. And it's hard to sometimes sort of realize that. And I hope that you take a moment to sort of go, you worked yourself into a position where you have a job that people a lot like you all over the place are, would go, fuck, I wish I had that motherfucker's job. I'm debating killing Jason Gallagher. No, it, it it is something that is not lost on me. And the fact that like, um, it took, it did take a lot of, a lot of work. It took a lot of like sleepless nights. It took a lot of working for free. Uh, it took a lot, which, you know, I would never advise anyone to do, but for me, no college, no experience. I think it's just what was sort of required of me in the words of my, uh, our former, uh, head coach, Rick Carlisle. I genuinely, he says this all the time and I live by this, this way. It's, it's you always stay opportunistic. And so mm-hmm. most of the time I'll say, yes, if someone asked me to help mm-hmm. with something. I'll say, yes, mm-hmm. please don't. If you don't think you do, <laughs> I will say yes. because you just never know. You never know. And my wife kills me because I answer cold calls all the time. And like, I just do that because I do that. You know what I mean? I like to, I just like, you never know. And that that's kind of been my philosophy. So that's lovely. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, hey, Jason, we got to dive into our moment. We have to decide whether, Dirk Nowitzki's game-winning lefty lay in the game two of the 2011 NBA Finals. If it's good enough to make our first Bell Hall of Fame, to do that, we have to go through our Hall of Fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge all of our moments. The first credential, as always, as usual, analytics, the numbers, the stats. People love numbers. I don't get it, but here they are. Dallas had a nine-point lead late in the second quarter. They gave it all back to Miami, who was tied at halftime. Miami then built their own nine-point lead in the third quarter, then stretched it to 15-point lead and held that lead until six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. Up 15, six and a half minutes left in the fourth. From that point forward, Miami missed nine of their next 10 shots, including eight in a row. Conversely, Dallas went nine for 10, erased the lead, won the game 95-93, a 22-5 run to close the game. Dirk made the last nine points in a row for Dallas. Dirk's line, 10 of 22, 45%, one of two from three. I can't imagine a world where, to think about Dirk Nowitzki only taking two three-pointers in a game, one for two from three, three for three from the line, 24 points, 11 boards, four assists, one block in 42 minutes. Do you have any thoughts on the stats you've heard from this game so far, Jason? Um, I think that there, I think the, the lead being, um, so high it, it, and I think this is one of those things where the lead felt much higher than it actually mm. was for Miami. Right. Um, mostly because Dallas got, got beat pretty handedly in game one mm-hmm. and then game two, it looked like it was going to be the same thing. And then on top of all of that, um, if you're, I know I'm going away from the numbers a little bit. If you if you are a Dallas fan who has experienced as much heartache and pain up into that point from the previous five seasons, and then you, yes, you're feeling good in the playoffs, but every single expert is picking against your team the entire time. And then you yep. hit this juggernaut of a team in the Miami Heat and you get beat like crazy in game one. And then in game two, you're losing by 
uh, 15 points or whatever it is, um, you know, with such a short amount of time left in the game, it felt like you were in a deep, deep hole. And so, and you're in Miami and everything like that. So as much as the numbers uh, are numbers, sometimes uh, the context around the numbers make it feel like a much uh, bigger deficit than maybe what it actually was. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. When you, So let me ask you, when you're watching this game at that six and a half minute mark and it's 15 seconds, we're going gonna, gonna to play the audio here in a minute. Yeah. You get the figure down 15 points and you they go to commercial because the Mavericks have to call a timeout. What are you thinking? Are you like going, fuck, we're going to lose? Or are you still, do you think, you seem like a pretty optimistic guy. Do you think there's a chance we can still get back in the series? No, I thought we were done. I thought the, <gasps> I thought the game was done. I thought the series was done. Like literally everybody thought that there, there, I watched it with Mavericks fans. There was no, there was no positivity. Um, especially, uh, you know, there's a moment you know, where Dwayne Wade and LeBron yes. try to start punching each other yes. right through the Mavericks bench. Yes. Um, it did not feel like the vibes were any good. There was just no positivity whatsoever. Ugh. And um, that, you know, that is that we, the, the idea of coming back was like zero. You know what I mean? You watch games sometimes, you're like, we're going to come back. This mm-hmm. one, they had just. They had just dominated us so hard mm-hmm. uh, for the previous however many uh, quarters. You know, you're talking about, you know, two games or so. So it's like it just did not feel like we had the it didn't feel like we had the the horses to to stop them. Uh, this game was the difference between a 2-0 uh, finals lead for the Heat and 1-1. 15 of the last 16 teams to go up 2-0 in the finals have gone on to win the series. The only team that didn't was this uh, Dallas Mavericks team. They're the ones. They're the ones that um, uh, had a 2-0 lead in 2006, which we'll get to in a minute. Mavericks up 2-0 in 2006, end up losing to the Miami Heat. Yeah. Grueling. Uh, That's clearly the backdrop for this finals as well. Miami had been on a 9-0 winning streak. They were undefeated at home during the 2011 NBA playoffs up until this loss. Uh, everything seems to really swing on this game and on this moment, on this comeback. Miami wins game three by two. Dallas won game four by three. Mavericks take uh, five and six to win the 2011 uh, title. Where does this title rank in the Dallas sports memory for you? Where, like, where, where does this rank for your own sort of favorite Dallas sports memory? I mean, it's number one. Is, there's, number there's, one. There's zero. Is there anything even remotely close? No. In terms of uh, – in terms of like. Does the Cowboys? I mean, maybe you're like a, a very young when the Cowboys were winning the the Super Bowl and that you know Irvin Emmett Smith, Jimmy Johnson phase. Does that? Is there any like you know either your favorite sweatshirt as a kid was a Cowboys World you know a Super Bowl sweatshirt that you wore and so it's that's near and dear to your heart. Is there anything even sniffing this this uh, so, 2011 title? So I love I love the Cowboys and. The thing about those 90s teams is that they were very dominant and the, mm. the feeling, you know, the the wins were there's a reason why in the movie Little Giants, the Little Giants, the Cowboys are the bad guys. You know what I mean? It is. They're just they're the Patriots. They're the dominant ones. Yeah. And so the, the Mavericks uh, were the I always say it's like if Disney were to ever make a movie about a situation, this 2011 Mavericks team was it. Um, yeah. And so that's why, I mean, I've already, I've already said this out loud. That is the greatest sports moment I've seen and will ever see. Cause I don't think I'll ever go through anything like that again as a fan, because what's required of that moment is, you know, the previous five years, you have to take into context all of that and the pain that 
the team went through, Dirk went through, the fans went through to get to this moment to beat the players that he beat, the Durants, the Westbrooks, the Kobe's, the Powell's, the the LeBron's, the Dwayne Wade's. Like that's a, it's a stacked lineup for a guy who's yeah. been called soft his whole you know you know the last however many years. So that's. It, it, it there's zero question about it. I mean, I if someone were to be like, "What's your, who's your second favorite Dallas athlete?" It's weirdly Tony Tony Romo. Don't don't uh, don't hate me for that. But um, I don't I can't think of a Romo moment that even came close. Yeah, right. Yeah. I I I understand. I I I this is a bad example. I know that going in, but I'm going to go into it anyways. I went to a Mets game and there was a guy with a super clean uh, blue that Mets blue uh, starter jacket satin starter jacket and on the back it appears as though he had added maybe went into a sporting goods store and had someone stitch in 1986 world champs now i realize the mets have won a seaver year 60 something i don't know but that 86 to see a guy with a jacket that he had had specially made a bespoke 1986 world champion jacket I love the idea of holding on to one specific title so much and going, this is me. This is about me. I'm carrying this with me. I'm putting it on my back. This is my thing. And it seems like any team that has only one title, that feels like a very special thing to be a part of, particularly if it landed in a in a time of your life where you could completely understand it and appreciate it. I think it would be my entire identity. What's it like to be a fan of a team that has that one special title? Is it your identity? It definitely is, and and everything traces back to that. Every everything I watch on, uh, you know, even it like it, everything I, I associate with that moment, and and so much so, I think it's such a great moment that it's kind of been somewhat the downfall of the Mavericks since. It's mm. that you know, it's that we want to win, but we want to win a specific kind of way, mm-hmm. and that's just it was an unlikely win. That yes. really was. There's a reason why Mark Cuban blew up the team literally the next year. Um, it's because he knew that um, that was an unlikely win. So, yeah, it's definitely part of my identity. I have a blog. I think it's on MavsMoneyBall.com um, where I blogged about the next that night, the night that the Mavericks won the title. Um, I spent like a lot of money. Like um, I had no money at the time and I spent a lot of money on Mavs championship memorabilia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've there's, got it. A, there's a few photos on there that I took, but like. I got really drunk and I bought like three mouse pads that say like 2008. <laughs> I bought like a license plate border like that I've never used. I have a commemorative, I have a commemorative coin in my, my closet. <laughs> like it, I have so much Matt 2000 and I've never gotten rid of any of it. It's just in a box. <sighs> But I have so much stuff from that because um, because it was such a moment that I wanted to savor. And uh, in the blog, it, it it the blog centers around the conversation I eventually have to have with my wife to tell her, "Hey, I'm so <laughs> sorry, but I spent a lot of money at, at uh, on very drunkenly on you know you see the commercials, and you're like, get your coin yeah, of now, course, yeah, and yeah. You're like, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's. I wait. I was going to ask specifically about the coin. Is the coin a bit? Is that just a very funny joke, or you actually have a championship coin? I swear to God, I have. I have it in my closet. I have to dig it up, dude. None of this is a bit. Hold on, this is not <laughs> on the podcast, but it's like, like this is in my office. Um, let's see what else we got. 
we have this picture of me and Dirk. You know what I mean? Like, it, <laughs> this is not a bit. This is not staged for this. It is just because I love this. I love that damn team, you know, and, uh, you know, me and my other son. Oh my um, God. So anyways, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> it matters a lot to say the least. I bet. I bet. Uh, now my team, my favorite team has uh, 17 championships, so it's not as big of a deal. But I want to, uh, I want to say, um, my, one of my prized possessions is I got the Lakers championship COVID mask because I that I remember thinking there will never be a more insane championship. There will never be a more important championship for me. I needed something in that window. I was very scared. I was like washing my mail for a full year. Uh, before I brought it in the house, I was like, I'm going to die. I need something. And that the Lakers won that championship. I was like, I'm buying a COVID mask. I'll never forget it. And it hangs on my desk. I see it every single day. It is my thing. And again, I have many, many championships. I think I've seen 11 NBA titles. Very fortunate. World's best Laker fan. It is what it is. Very different from Jason in that way. But I also have something very specific that is meaningful to me. Um, I appreciate you you having a, a Mavericks coin. Let's keep moving. The next credentials are eye test. What did we see in the moment? Is there anything in the game footage, Jason? Did you see anything in the game footage that sticks out and adds to this moment that makes it extra special? Sure. Um, so obviously, I think that the um, what I had mentioned before about the Miami Heat sort of celebrating and everything yes. like that, I think that <clears throat> the way that the Mavericks came back through a lot of defensive stops – from some of, you know, our veteran, like Jason Kidd had a few, Sean Marion had a few. Um, but really in that moment where we're talking about this lefty lay, um, if you've been watching Dirk as closely and as longly as we have, this is the kind of moment that I think we all really wanted. Now, he had had several throughout the entire playoff run, but it was this sort of like do or die, make this happen. Mm. And... Um, his feel and his ability to just get to the rim and do what needed to be done. It, it, I, I just can't really like put it into words what that meant to watch. Mm. And I've watched that replay several times since, but like there's this sort of like, you know, he sort of goes to the left side and Bosch kind of leans in with his elbow. And as soon as he feels that, he just yes. turns. Yes. And, and, and that's the kind of like thing that I think the experience of Dirk, um, it just it just kicked in. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what's fascinating about him is that he uh, 2011 people say, well, that was prime Dirk it, for Mavericks fans. That was not prime Dirk. Prime Dirk mm. was fucking crazy and he was mm. fast and he was long and he dunked the ball a lot and all that other stuff. And he's a great shooter. But this mentally was prime Dirk because yes. those moments like that, yep. he, you know, the Oklahoma City series was an interesting one where it's like they threw great defenders at him. They threw Serge at him. They threw KD at him. They threw Perk at him. They threw Collison at him and at times double teamed. And the way that he would feel and use mm. the leverage of the defenders to, to catch them off guard. I mean, that's the part where his game evolved to such a high degree that he became almost unstoppable in that series. And to see that moment come up again, where it's like, yes. ah, it was like, you know, these, these weird touchstone moments in a fan's life where it's like, I remember that in 2006 and it, and he came up short and he was, and then, and then in 2011, it felt like, Oh my God, we're back. And it's five years later and it's the same fucking team. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, Oh my God. And then he does it. Yes. I just like, can't really Ugh. again. And there's this, there's this still photo on Getty of he and um, 
I can't remember if it's either Jason Kidd or Jason Terry, but they're high fiving and and Dwayne Wade is laying on the ground. Mm. It's such a it's such <laughs> a, a picturesque moment given just everything we'd sort of gone through in the previous five years um, to sort of like you know bury your demons in that very specific way is such a strange thing in sports. Like you just you just don't get that. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Perfectly said. Uh, there 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 is. There, that this mo- I mourn the loss of post play. Mm-hmm. It was my favorite thing as a kid. I uh, hated, I hate, and I hated, and still hate the Boston Celtics. But Kevin McHale was one of my favorite players ever to watch because he was so deft and so good in the post. Right. And Dirk, that little move, that little hitch, that tiny little hitch. That just puts Chris Bosh on the fronts of his toes and lets Dirk wheel off of him and get to an easy layup is so small and so subtle and for me so perfect. I love that moment so much and it's exactly what I had for my eye test as well. That Just that little, tiny little hitch. And if you don't, I don't want to be like the I know basket. I don't want to be the I know basketball guy. But if you watch that play and you can't appreciate it, we have nothing to discuss. We have nothing to talk about. That little hitch is everything. Can can I? Um, I'll say one one more thing that I think makes a moment really great. Yeah. Um, as a production person. Yeah. It's that there's there's all always, in, especially in basketball, there is a uh, almost like half court from across the court wide shot that you get where you're looking at the basket and you see everything that's happening and you see the mm-hmm. and everything like that. And I think that's a really, really sneaky, iconic one where you see how many great players are on the opposing team. You see the sea of white and red and you see this, 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 this it's a beautiful still shot. And I think that moments that have that mm-hmm. are like legit amazing moments. I mean, I think about Michael Jordan push off and Utah, especially when it's in the way the away situation, it's just yes. so good. Um, I, I and totally so, yeah, I, 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 I just, um, I look back at that picture all the time. Like I, I think that picture is amazing. You're nailing it. You're, you're exactly right. I've realized in doing this podcast, how much of the production stuff ends up mattering in moments like this, that wide shot that all those, and that's my other eye test thing was all the goddamn white jerseys. This is like peak Miami white t-shirt, all the fans, the white out thing. I think it's was corny. I never loved it, but I appreciate this all happening when everyone is in matching white t-shirts. That just makes me, me happy yeah. to think about a bunch of people in matching white t-shirts well, I, filing out of the building after they lost. That's a blast. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's low key how I think, uh, I always think about the pictures and the shots and everything like that. And, 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 uh, just a quick little side note, this Mm. is how I think that we fix the dunk contest is we have to make it more cinematic. I think we have to make it more picturesque. Wait a minute. Uh, Keep going. I want to hear more of these ideas. You know, the, the best, in my opinion, the best dunk shot photos are photos. Like the the moments you can capture in a photo. And for me, it's sort of like, all right, one of my favorite basketball photos of the last couple of years is, 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 I can't even remember what country it is, but they have a bunch of fire. There's a bunch of fire. Yes, yep, I know what you're talking about. You yep. know what I mean? And it's sort of yep. like, imagine a sick, right. We've now seen everything that a human being can possibly do in a dunk contest. Right. Right. And all we're doing is repeating it and we're bringing in props and, and you know, birthday cakes. And you're just kind of like, who gives a shit about that? That's right. you know yes. what we should do. We should make the backdrops cool and we should make them like, like, it, you know, if I'm, if I'm in the dunk contest next year, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm having all these people, 
shoot up like like confetti guns like crazy and I'm jumping through it and you're getting the super slow motion yes. and it's colorful and it's yes. vibrant. Yes. That's how you pick it up. Oh, I love that. I've never considered that. And I love that idea. Th consider the visuals. What I wonder if they, if it's like going to like a fucking Hollywood DP and being like, help huh? us think about the, you know, this. You're on my wavelength. I've, I've yeah. Jason Concepcion had me on his podcast, and I've said we've talked about how do you fix All Star Weekend, and I said every year you pick a new director to direct yes. the dunk contest. Yes, and yeah. I was, oh, was kind of like it. it was hard to like. I don't think I delivered it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To start with, the, just the fact that the visuals really matter, and yeah, you get some right. sort of artists to come in and say we're not yeah. going to we're not going to tell players how to dunk. All right. we're going to do is 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 set up the the imagery of the dunk. And we're going to be thinking right. about that right. because I mean, dude, you're going to get some iconic photos out of that. And yes. genuinely that is what makes a dunk contest, the dunk contest. It's almost like, I wonder how much you could um, benefit. Cause it's like, we're in this like patch where guys go, I don't want to participate in the dunk contest. I don't want to lose the dunk contest. I don't want to get clowned on Twitter, whatever the case might be. And then they go get these sort of lower tier guys. I don't mean to dismiss any of the guys that do the dunk contest, but you go and get those guys. I wonder if the league could go, wait, let me find the players that are willing to give me extra time. Let's do a little bit of planning here. You tell me what you're going to do. Work on this ahead of time. Tell me what you're going to do. If you need to change it, knock yourself out. You can do what you got to do. But give me an idea of what you're going to do on this first dunk because let me frame this thing up the right way, shoot it the right way, have the right background. It is a fascinating idea. I love it. Thank you. I think we should at least try it a couple times is all I'm uh, My idea is that we they should dunk on people. They, they, should, they, oh. they need to bring someone out to dunk on them. And I think it should be like every time I see like – a group of kids, they bring out a kid and the kid delivers some golden basketball and then the kid fucking dunks a gold basketball and they act like that's a big deal. I go, no, 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 take that gold basketball and dunk on that little fucking kid. Knock his ass out of bounds and that will make me uh, thrilled. I want us, I want them to dunk on someone. Genuinely though, I love this. If 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 somebody did a dunk contest where they brought out a, a four-year-old child and they yeah. just dunked on him like crazy. Yeah. I would be like, I would be dying. Someone yeah. needs to, 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 someone needs to throw a wrench in the dunk contest. I can't believe no one's done it. I can't believe no one's done it. Also asking, um, you know, fucking Jalen Suggs or somebody, I don't know why I'm attacking Jalen Suggs, asking Jalen Suggs to come out and throw a, a, a bounce pass off the backboard. No, no, no. Tell Jalen Suggs to try and block my shot. I want to boof on Jalen Suggs. I just feel like that stuff would matter. That's my that's my pitch. I think we need to combine our ideas and make the best dunk contest of all time. I think all right, let's keep moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. NBA, we're available. <laughs> uh, the next credential is the ear test. What did we hear in this moment? I want to play you some of the calls. Let's listen to the first one together. Here's the immortal Mike Breen uh, on the call. Wade, the corner. That's good. Three-pointer from Dwayne Wade. And the Heat have blown this game open. A 13-0 run, and Miami in control with 7-14 remaining. When you hear that type of thing from Mike Breen, this that and that, for the record, that is the call of Dwayne Wade's three-pointer where him and LeBron are, you know, shadow boxing in front of the Mavericks bench and, and Dwayne's holding up his, you know, gooseneck, I just made this three-pointer. And you hear that call from Mike Breen, it is haunting. Yeah. Haunting. 
to the same to the same level let's listen to this next call together here's another call from mike breen that's uh the exact opposite end of the spectrum novetsky puts it up puts it in two-point game with 243 remaining when he does that inflection stuff, puts it up, puts it in with 2.3. When he does that inflection, when I was rewatching the game, on that particular moment, that's in the, like the heart. That's as the Mavs are really starting to come back that call. Dirk hits like a whatever, an elbow jumper or something. When I hear that inflection, I earnestly got sick to my stomach because that hearing that Mike Breen call for your team, it's hope. It's hope. You start going, wait, are they going to come back? Wait, maybe they can come back. And you start going, oh, man, that fucking rebound that they missed and that free throw. What if they had made those free throws as a fan? You get sick. Hearing that inflection makes me sick. Listen Levinsky to this. puts it up. Puts it in. Two-point game with 243 remaining. <laughs> oh, my God. It makes me – I don't know what it is. It's a very Pavlovian thing. I got sick when I heard that call because I was like, I've been there. I'm desperately hoping that my team comes back and it makes me sick because I don't like being nervous. Yeah, there's a, he, he, I mean, this is the brilliance of Mike Brink. Just the brilliance of him is that he recognizes that he is a part of the story and will be a part mm. of history and his ability to sort of help tell the story through those little inflection points. I mean, for me, it's like, it's like a hopeful thing with some trepidation. It's like, yes. yeah, I'm not going all the way in and be like, there are two games. It's like, right. and now we're here. Whoa, yeah, yeah, what's yeah. going on here? And it's Ugh. like, I think that that is where he's super, super brilliant. And it really matched what I think everyone was feeling at the time. It was mm-hmm. like, there's no fucking way they're going to do this, is there? <laughs> like, and, and I think both Miami and Dallas, if you're watching this as a Miami fan, um, then, then, you know, both of you are watching the same and hearing the same thing and thinking the same thing. It's like, can this really happen? Because I yeah. promise you, as a Dallas fan, it wasn't like, yeah, we're coming yeah, yeah, back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they pull this off, I'm going to die. Um, and, like, and so um, I think I, I just think it was like, yeah, it was it was it's, it's a he's just brilliant. He really is brilliant. And it's 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 part. I love Mike Breen. I've said that openly many times on this show. I love Mike Breen, but I realize in listening to that, there's also a part of me that hates Mike Breen because he gives me hope. And and that's his power, is that he has the ability to control my emotions as a full-grown adult man. Okay, here's the last call. This is the sequence. This is Dallas taking the lead for the first time after being down 15 in the fourth. Miami tying it on Chalmers three, and then Dirk's lay hit. Let's just this. Terry to Nowitzki, puts up the three, puts it in! Dallas goes up by three with 26.7 remaining. A 20-2 run. Can they finish off this extraordinary comeback? Chalmers wide open. Chalmers knocks down the three and ties the game. Seven to shoot. Nowitzki drives underneath. Lefty layup banks it in with 3.6 remaining. Miami out of timeouts, trailing by two. James back to Wade. Wade puts it up for the win. Off the mark, and Dallas has tied the finals with one of the most incredible comebacks in NBA Finals history. Pretty fun, good, Jason. Yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, it's fun to listen to because um, because of how like fast it all happened, and I yes. think that there's a you know we hadn't really touched on this, but there's sort of a brilliance to Dirk um, moving when he did. It wasn't like he didn't do the traditional hold the ball until the very last right. second thing, yes. and I think that actually threw Miami off. Completely. Totally agree. And it felt like it threw Breen off a little. 
Like, yes. you know what I mean? Like I the way this. that he's sort of like, just like, Oh, and, and lefty lay. Yes. And, you know, yes. and, and I will say that the, the short amount of time that came after the layup in which Dwayne Wade put that shot up, that shot was not that far off. Agreed. And uh, your boy was like, I was really nervous. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it, it happens so bang, bang that you're almost like, you are almost like, I just watched an incredibly huge moment and it, I don't know if it I've caught up to it. You yep. know what I mean? In the 100%. moment, I remember being yep. like, he just laid it in. What just happened? What's yes. going on? And you're yes. just sort of like that. And, and and again, hearing it back, it almost feels like Dirk threw Mike Breen off in a weird way. I, 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 you are very good at this. I could not agree with you more. I think you just nailed it. There's nothing more to say. It's perfect. Uh, so after this game, yeah. are you thinking as a Mavericks fan, are you thinking we could actually win the title? Or are you like, we stole a game and I don't know, shit, well, I guess we stole that game. What are you thinking? What's your mindset? We have a ball game. Uh, or, you know, it, that's what it felt like is, is that, um, you know, Dallas has been sort of surprising. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if I, I would go as far as to say we're going to win a title, but I think it's just the fact that like, it felt like we exercised a demon, right? That makes sense. And now we can fucking play. That's what it felt like. Um, Mm -hmm. is that Miami for the last five years had had this stranglehold over Dallas, Mm -hmm. um, this sort of like mental Mm -hmm. thing. And I I will say, I don't know, you know, when we're going to talk about this, but you know, that 2006 Mavs series was one of those mentally, uh, the worst series and then to follow it up the next year with the golden state eight one you know eight one seed you know thing and dirk accepts the mvp in a weird room and like blah 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 and he's set on record he wishes he didn't have to do that and then from there um the next few years it was just like out in the first round of the playoffs and i remember dallas sports radio had sort of coined the phrase the one and done boys that's Mm -hmm. what they called us and um it you know so miami is really the it's the it's the original demon, you know, that you mm-hmm. just can't shake. And as mm-hmm. a fan, I was miserable to watch sports with, by the way. I would be the guy who'd like, you'd be watching your favorite team. You'd be watching Lakers, Celtics. And I would be like in the corner being like, you know, it's rigged. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was just like the most annoying fan to watch because, you know, there's still a, a part of my brain that is like the NBA completely fucked the Mavericks in 2006. We think it. But this 2011 team actually shows – what you know what a championship sort of like mentality is is that you don't get stuck in that mode you know what i mean you don't get stuck in this like sort of um excuses kind of vibe and that's to me uh why beating miami in miami for the mm-hmm. first time mm-hmm. was you you exercise the demon and now yeah. you can play basketball that's yeah. what it felt like this this show this getting a moment in the first belt hall of fame is about framing sometimes specificity is helpful and i i actually will say that i like it the more specific you can be about a moment the more i enjoy us talking about a moment but if you can open up the aperture a bit at times sometimes it helps a moment adding 2006 here would be massively helpful and my question one of my burning questions to you was how much of the glory of 2011 is tied to the brutality of 2006? It's completely tied to it. Yeah. And I'll say, I'll go as far as to say this. I was going to save this for like a little bit of like a, a hammer to really take the yeah. point home, but I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to bring it up here. I think that there's only a small handful of moments, moments 
that completely reshape a player's legacy. Mm. And like truly, um, now there are a lot of players as good, better than Dirk, all of that jazz. But you're talking about a guy who is universally kind of known as a top 20 player. And if he does not complete that layup, I genuinely don't think people have him in the top 20. Like, you know, and you're talking about a singular moment. And I can't think of many in the history of sports where that singular moment changed the perception of a player. And as someone who loves legacy so much, um, that to me is what makes this moment. It is, again, it's if you're making a movie about this team, it doesn't start in 2011. It starts in yep. 2006. Yep. And then when you add all of these Ugh. characters to the moment that are like Sean Marion, never won. Jason Kidd, never won. You have all these players. Paige Stoyakovich, never won. And he's on that team. Another you know, interesting wrinkle is our second best player was out. Was out the entire playoff run. Karan Butler, tough juice, was out. And I think that when you combine all of these elements, it makes a very perfect story and especially for Dirk a player that had been coined and and called soft by every talking head imaginable and you know what really tells the story a story about the Dallas Mavericks is when you look at the expert ESPN expert predictions on each series yes heading into the finals it is the majority pick the Blazers majority pick the Lakers I don't think the a single person picked the the Mavericks on that one the majority picked the Thunder the majority picked the Heat and that tells you all of the demons that came with this 2011 run and why I think, you know, I, I, I granted I was biased, but when you looked on the internet, 99% of the people were on the Maverick side. And then you take that to another degree, which is like this super team, the decision everyone hated, like you yes. add that element to the mix. So it's like <laughs> the worst version of Miami against the same guy who's been called soft because of that Miami team is able to do that. I think that that is sort of like, again, I know we have numbers. I know we have all of those other things, but the things that connect us to sports is the emotion. And I can't think of, if you're a fan of a sports team, I can't think of a, a more emotional moment. You are very, very good at this. This is, ex- I mean, you are doing all of the legwork here. Uh, that was an amazing little uh, diatribe and moment from you. I appreciate you being generous and giving it to the show. Uh, the, uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, one of the other, my mother burning question was, does Dirk deserve a moment in the first ballot hall of fame? I think the answer to that question has to be yes. And if it's not this one, what would it then be? And that's what I do sometimes is I go, the first ballot hall of fame is something I hold near and dear to me. Is Dirk Nowitzki going to be represented in the first ballot? He has to be. So what would it be? Like, sometimes I get to that question and I go, okay, well then what are you doing here champ? Because sometimes I can look at this moment and be like, ah, the layup in the game. And is there something that sticks out? Does it have the attitude? Is it funny enough? Like, is it, what, what does it have? But if, if we get down to it, does Dirk deserve a moment? I think he might. Well, what's it going to be if it isn't this? That's something. Is there? Can you think of any other Dirk moment that has the spice and the attitude that might make the first Bell Hall of Fame? No, not really, because because um, you know when you think that it has to be of the 2011s, you know, but yeah. the second yeah. best Dirk moment ever, pretty universally to Mavs fans, is uh, I believe it's 2006. It's when he it's like double overtime win over the Spurs. Manu fouls him, but he makes it anyways. People. Right. People really remember that moment. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but it didn't wind up 
amounting to much. And in fact, it amounted to heartbreak. So, right. so that's why it can't be that. And then of the 2011 sort of playoff run, his performances were just so dominant. Like I have my personal favorite of that entire run is that he he gets doubled by Collison and Ibaka and he and he fakes it and one of them goes over and then he shoots mm. it kind of sideways and he makes it. That's like my favorite Dirk shot ever and it's very <laughs> subtle, but that can't be it, you know. And then in the Lakers series, it was such a a dominant like that's what's funny. What's funny about, about the Miami series is that it's arguably Dirk's worst series when you look at it, mm-hmm. but you know what this is. It's comprised of moments. The great superstars. Kobe Bryant can shoot horribly yeah. in the finals, but if he right. makes a shot, it doesn't even fucking matter. And that right. to me is what Dirk's moment is. And, um, you know, like I said, it, it, I, I can't think of another moment because of what it meant at the time. And it really was like, it really was just the perfect uh, way again, to exercise those demons, to move forward and you know how much that series meant. I mean, at the end of it, you know, at the end of it, as he's winning, you see him get emotional and then sprint back to the locker room because he's yeah. crying. Yeah. He doesn't even like, and I remember like they couldn't find him. I remember Doris Berg being like, I don't know what Dirk is, but he's crying in a locker room. That's how much this series meant. Um, so, yeah. That's, I think the, that, that's really the other moment that I would consider is him winning and running off the court. It is my it might be my favorite NBA championship, like right after the buzzer moment period, including all of my Lakers titles. I was emotional watching Dirk take off. It feels like it's, that's something I would have done. And I don't know what that says about me, but like being like, I can't even be here. I have to, I don't want you to see me this way and running off. It really touched me. That's the only other moment that I could consider, but maybe you make the argument that that moment doesn't happen without this layup. But think, it, it, oh, it definitely doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And think, <laughs> about, think about like just the, just think about like the, Dirk had been to the conference finals many, many times. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think he gave a shit. I don't think the right. Mavericks gave a shit. A lot of those players have been to the West or the conference finals many times. And I, I have like very vivid memories of them winning the Western conference finals and Doris Burke trying to find the players, but they've all left because they don't mm. care. And they're not trying to celebrate it. And you hear her say, like, I can't talk to anyone. Like, she says it on the broadcast. And then there's this photo that was, like, circulating around Twitter and Reddit of the Western Conference Finals trophy on the floor in the trainer's room. Like, like it was like nothing. And that's how how much the finals itself meant. Mm. You know, they were not celebrating the Western Conference Finals. They don't care. You're doing, you're, you're taking a, you really tactical in what you're doing. I really was walking into this and Jason knows because I told him before we started recording, I'm going to be tough on this moment. He's taking a really tactical approach to getting this into the first battle. I really appreciate the work that you're doing on this episode. Uh, the Miguel Prado two, one, four, six, uh, YouTube comment. This is a comment section next credential. He wrote the shot that sealed Dirk's legacy. That's supportive of what you said previously, which it feels like you can draw his greatness back to a singular basket. 
this basket going gets him to this title, which I, I don't want to be like the rings guy, but also for the record, I am a rings guy because what are we doing here? It's sports. This is not like a, this is not it, as much as I enjoy treating it like art. There is a winner and a loser. There is a binary. I want my team to win. I want the team. I hate the Celtics to lose. Dirk winning this title means a fucking ton. It's you said it again earlier. To to get Jason Kidd a title means a lot to me as a basketball fan. For me to watch and appreciate Jason Kidd and to know that he got a title and he got a ring on this team makes it important. It's not just a shot to seal Dirk's legacy. It helped Jason Kidd's legacy, and I appreciate that as well. I just want to support you making that argument, and, and Miguel Prado does too. Uh, the next credential, you mad. Wait, wait. You mad, you mad, you mad. Anybody mad? I love it when somebody's mad. Of course someone's mad. Jet, Jason Terry was mad about that Dwayne Wade three-pointer, that sort of moment where Wade hits that three in the corner. He poses and preens in front of the Mavericks bench. Did you take offense to that as a Mavs fan? Not really. Uh, I was uh, that, uh, that was sort of my opinion as well. Like it didn't come off as super offensive, but I appreciate that the team I, did find it that way. Yeah, and I think if I was on the team, I would. I would yes, you know, yes. especially they're doing it right in front of the bench, and and you know that that kind of um, I want I, uh, to be careful with my wording here. That kind of like overly confident behavior displays of of mocking in some ways. Uh, it was a theme throughout the series. I mean, yes. we hadn't really even touched on the Dwayne Wade and LeBron James making fun of Dirk's yes, cold. Yes. Um, you know, the theme of the th series really being like that Miami just didn't take Dallas very seriously. Um, you know, that, that to me was, you know, in that, that moment is it, it made the Mavs players mad. I think fans, I, 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 you're at such a binary. It's like, we want to win. That's all I, I don't care what they do. I literally don't care. But when they made fun of the cough thing, dude, I, you want to talk about mad. We were mad. Mavs, Mavs nation was mad. Mavs nation still mad at that a little bit. I wish the cough had happened before this game. Like I wish I could tie in a meaningful way the cough to this game because then I feel like we're cooking. Because that's what you you need that well, sort of thing. This Jason Terry thing. No, sorry, go I, ahead. I, I, not to me, not to cut you off, but the cough was emblematic of the Miami Heat. Okay, LeBron signs with the Heat on national television. The the yes. the Heat. You know, they, they've talked about it publicly since. They probably regret it. But they had like a fucking parade before the season started. So this is the Miami Heat. They were dancing in front of the Mavericks bench long before they danced in front of the Mavericks bench. And yeah. you could have placed that cough yeah. anywhere in the season. And it would have been the same damn thing. They've been doing it all season. There's a reason why the nation was on the Mavericks side. Okay, we got the ugliest uniforms in the league. We, we, we've got, they just, you know, we're not like, we don't have like these crazy popular players, but the Miami Heat had been so fucking obnoxious to the public that yes. that it was satisfying to see them getting put in their place. I mean, that, it, you know, no disrespect to them, but that, and they, that was satisfying. But we also know you three kings came down here to win championships not one championships not two lebron tell us about that not two not three not four not five not six not seven oh. 
That is insane. And if you, you can't even believe it. Like I, I watched that heat introductory press conference and it is laughably bad in my head, but in prepping for this episode and rewatching and pulling some of these things, it makes me it, that fucking presser, that event is so out of control. You cannot, if you want to have a blast, go pull that up. We are undoubtedly doing an episode on that. Uh, event at some point uh, in time it is absolutely wild and i couldn't agree with you more i was in la for this finals and i watched this at an a bar that was full of asians which is has nothing to do with anything it's not germane to my point this is not a particularly asian thing it just happened to be lots of asians with me uh people were thrilled that miami lost this game people really hated the miami yeah and that's what that's why i just think that like yes the cough came after but really the cough had been happening since the moment they they have been doing this and and we had chris bosh on the old man of the three and he talks about like kind of the just when he looks back on it in hindsight he's like i cannot believe we behaved that way like he was like we're kids Mm -hmm. you know i give us a pass and everything like that and honestly it's like more on the organization they were he, he talked about that sort of weird parade thing that they had. And basically they had had a concert in town and they were like, do you want to just use the stage? And they're like, sure. They were doing whatever the team told them to do, but you know, it's exciting mm-hmm. or whatever. But in hindsight, it is like kind of an absurd display throughout the, almost the entire season. And, and uh, you know, uh, in, in a lot of ways, Dallas beating Miami, I think was as helpful to Miami as anything. Um, because, because I think, you know, having us, I mean, we're seeing it now with the Phoenix Suns, we're seeing it with all these other teams. It's like bringing three number one options together and then making that work is really, really difficult. I don't care if it's LeBron James, I don't care who it is. That's a really, really hard thing to do. Bringing two together is hard it and really it's doable, is. but bringing three is crazy almost. Um, it's crazy. And it almost takes this sort of like A, commitment to doing it, but then B, mm-hmm. a level of humility that needs to be had before you attack yes. it. And I feel yeah. like, uh, in all the respect physically possible, a humility kind of moment needed to happen for the heat. I think succeed. I, 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 I love this. I love that. There's that maybe there is a wall and that wall is these three guys trying to put these three guys from what it means for roster construction and how the coach manages all of the egos and what, you know, happens to ball distribution, who takes the final. I like the idea that, and it'll always be unwritten. I'm sure there, I mean, the heat ended up winning titles. So Mazatov hats off to them. They proved it can be done, but I do like the idea that that's, that there is an unwritten rule there. There's a wall there that, Hey, to do, to do what these guys did, it is very, very difficult. And you might need, you know, maybe one of the best players to ever play in LeBron James to, to actually do it. It's, it's fat. That's fascinating to think about. Uh, the, my X factor is this, not, not five, not six, not seven. I can't believe they said all this shit. Dirk one all-star. He's the one all-star on this Mavericks team. Uh, three future hall of famers for the Miami heat. This heat team was hated. It was a blast. Oh, and I, you know what else I found is uh JJ Barea on a podcast called the old man and the three, had this to say about Dirk and his sort of uh, affinity or lack thereof for, for this Heat team as well. He hated Miami. He hated Le- LeBron, Wade, uh, Bosch. He's never going to say that, but he couldn't stand it. He, yeah, he, he, he got ready for it, man. Uh, when, when LeBron and Wade uh, started making fun of him by cuffing when he got a little sick, I don't know if you remember that, that clip. Oh, I forgot that happened. Yeah, I remember it now. That clip r- really hurt him. 
that he will never say it, but he really saw the tape uh, and that, that tape really hurt him. And that gave him a little bit extra that he didn't need, but it gave him a little extra to, to finish him off. Uh, three, four, two productions. Send me the invoice. Cause I just stole your audio. <laughs> we have a, we have a very lenient policy on. <laughs> Uh, so now that there's some real you know animus here uh, is helpful the the other quote i want to read um in terms of you matt and jason terry being ticked at Dwayne wade for that that three and again you find finding finding something to be mad at to get yourself going i love it i love it this is the Bradford smith corollary uh this is what jason terry said post game Quote, Dwayne Wade passes me as the timeout is called. They're throwing the air punches. He still has his hand up like he's finishing off his shot or whatever. He's not a shooter. Why is your hand still up? I love I love that there is a player, a shooter, that could have done that in front of Jason Terry, and Jason Terry would have gone, hey, what are you going to do? Guy's a shooter. You got to hold your hand up when you're a shooter. But then he's looking at Dwayne Wade going, Dwayne Wade is a scorer, and scorers don't keep their hands up. That's for shooters only. I love that sort of specificity. Well, you know, every championship team, I I am I this is my old most old school take ever. Every championship team needs a a irrationally confident person. Yes. I, I just like <laughs> actually believe that. And Jason Terry might be the biggest one i've ever seen in, in terms of like his value to a team um he was i mean there was a small contingent that was like jason terry is is actually playing the best basketball of anyone on this team consistently mm-hmm. he was scoring very consistently it wasn't like the highs weren't highs but the lows weren't lows and it was just very you knew what you were getting out of him but right. he had some moments man there's a sound bite um that i wish i had had prepped but it was from the, i think the previous series and Dirk and Terry are are doing a press conference together. And they were like, what made you take, he had this big shot. And they were like, what made you take that shot? And he's like, honestly, like, I couldn't even see the basket. Like the defender was in front of me and I just threw up a prayer. And you see Dirk go like this, like put his hands in his head. And he goes, I know Dirk doesn't want to hear that. And he's just shaking his head like, you are crazy. But it takes <laughs> that kind of crazy to do that. And I think that there was a couple guys on this team that that had this sort of like crazy um you know, sort of approach like uh, Deshaun Stevenson was one that was just, you know, such a good memory, um, you know, it, especially post championship. He wore this shirt that said, how's my Dirk? Hey, LeBron, how's my Dirk taste? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the night they won the championship, he got arrested <laughs> in Dallas. So like he was like, or no, 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 it was the next night that he had gotten back to Dallas gotten so drunk and was just like publicly wandering through a neighborhood <laughs> and like a Dallas cop had to be like, you just won as a championship, but I have to arrest you. It was, it's amazing. You know? And so there's so many cast of characters for him so great in it too, because he was really a key component to the Mavericks winning too, that once they started him, they looked like a different team and he was just like a weird X factor. Um, the idea that JJ Berea was in a lot of ways, sort of what, was our answer to really messing with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh is sort of crazy it's to say. Out loud. Yeah, it's a blast. Yeah. Uh, it's all, it's so, it's so nice that you have that singular championship that you can make part of your identity. And then it's so great that there's, it's such, it is special. It's not like a fluke one. It's a really special team and a really special finals and playoff run. Congratulations. Yeah. You've got that forever. Uh, Jason, I see the clock is winding down on us. It's almost time for America's favorite podcast segment. It's called more important. But before that, 
there is an absolute proliferation of athlete-led podcasts. Now, I blame you and your work with J.J. Reddick. I think you and what you've done with J.J. and the the, the show and the, 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 the burgeoning ecosystem you all are building there at 342 Productions, you are to blame for a lot of the bad sports podcasts that are now trickling out because every athlete thinks they can do it and do their own and have it be as good as the one that you guys are doing with J.J., what responsibility do you take for this proliferation? Do you feel at all responsible for all these podcasts that I keep listening to and the time I'm wasting? What is your role in what's going on in the podcast space? I mean, I think... Uh... Oh, I'm so sorry, Jason. We don't have time for that answer because it's time for something more important. Jason, I'm about to ask you a series of questions. Your answers to all of these questions are far more important than any of the bullshit you were just about to make up. Okay. Uh, your answers to these questions will define who you are as a man on this planet. Are you ready for more important? Yes. What is your favorite beverage? I, I like a margarita. Okay, sure, that's fantastic. Bodega Bucks, you've got $5. It's like 1 in the morning. There's a corner store. You're famished. What are you getting at 1 o'clock in the morning inside the bodega? Um, I will get a ginger ale. Okay. I will get like um, most likely either Skittles if I'm feeling sweet oh, or wow. um, or like Ritz Bits uh, sandwich crackers. Okay. Okay, okay. If I'm feeling savory. If I'm feeling savory. <laughs> I want to. I just want to make a quick recommendation. I think you gotta go the Ritz crackers with the ginger ale. Ginger ale and Skittles is nuts. That is patently insane to, to go ginger ale and Skittles. It's too much. Well, sometimes you need it. It's one in the morning, and I'm not. I'm clearly not doing well. <laughs> this, this segment isn't about me. This is about Jason. Uh, Jason, next question. What is your least favorite animal? Do you have an animal that you just don't like? Um, wow. Wow. Uh, you know, I really don't like squirrels. Okay. Okay. That's all. I like okay. they're, 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 they, they ruin things. They're mm -hmm. make my dogs bark. They're so cute. I wish I could pet them, but apparently they're super dangerous. They don't want anything to do with you. Nothing yeah. good about them. Super I'm out. Dangerous. Okay, good. Perfect answer. Jason, what's your, who's your favorite character actor? Character actor. Wow. Oh gosh. I really like, um, Oh God. I, I, I always blank on his name, but uh, Stephen Root. I love Stephen Root. Stephen Root's fantastic. Stephen Root. Stephen Root's uh, News Radio. If you don't know his News Radio, the old TV show, yeah, yeah, check yeah. out Stephen Root on News Radio. Very good. Uh, best sports nickname. What's the best sports nickname for Jason Gallagher? What do you think the best sports nickname is? You know, I'll, I'll put a give you. I'm going to go with the really, really traditional one and say it's Air Jordan. But then there's a budding one that I'm really enjoying that I don't know if it will ever take off. But here in Oklahoma City, um, Che Gilders Alexander and Chet Holmgren are leading in steals and blocks. Um, which are called stocks, and people have been calling the two of them the stock market. Which oh, I, I love it. It's very I'm, good. I don't, I don't know if that's going to take off, but oh, I, do it's very really good. It. I do really enjoy it. Very, very good. Yeah. I love that. What's uh, yours? The, the, you uh, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking. I appreciate you bringing this back to me. Finally, this podcast can be about me. The, I, to, the, you saying the stock market did make me think about when they used to call the old Mark Gastineau Jets defensive line the New York Sack Exchange, which <laughs> I fucking love. That's just so – I don't know what it is, but I love that. That's not my answer, but yeah. I do love it. I also like um, – I was just thinking about how much I love calling Andrew Tony the Boston Strangler. 
No, as a, as an anti-Celtics guy, I just really appreciate one guy being called the Boston Strangler. I also like taking that nickname from a uh, terrible, awful serial killer and giving it to a basketball player. That makes me laugh. But yeah. my answer is ultimately uh, the Motor City Cobra. That was just a nickname for Tommy the Hitman Hearns, who had a phenomenal nickname, Tommy the Hitman Hearns. But that wasn't enough. They also had to call him the Motor City Cobra. That's my answer. That's that's a really good that's a really good answer. And outside of basketball. Yeah, I'm a very traditional guy. If, if a nickname can stick to the point that that's just how you know him, yes. as a 90s Cowboys kid, prime time was prime time. And as as it uh, it's just as perfect as it gets. <laughs> it's as good yeah. as it gets. Okay, uh, last question, more important. Names, Jason Gallagher, name something that really kicks ass. Something that really kicks ass. Yes. Uh, you know what kicks ass? You know, honestly, flying first class kind of kicks ass. <laughs> it does kick ass. Yeah, I, I never did it, and in the last like calendar year, I've had to do it a couple times, and uh, I was like, oh yeah, this checks out. <laughs> really I don't know, if you know, but flying first class class really kicks ass. It does. They treat you like it really you. does. That's the <laughs> best feature of first class, by the way, is you get treated like a real person. That's, That's it. right. It's not the chairs. It's not the anything. It's that they look you in the eye and they ask you how you're doing. If you're not in first class, they really treat you like you're a piece of garbage. Cattle. Yeah, get back there. Anyways, the that, that's my answer is flying first class. I love it. You're exactly right. It, it totally does. If you've not done it, uh, you know, get con some company into sending you first class. It's the way to go. Uh, the next credential, we got to move on. It's the co-sign Jason Gallagher. The floor is yours. Uh, not only am I going to ask you, does Dirk's layup belong in the first ballot Hall of Fame? I also want to extend to you. Does you do you want to change the moment at all? Do you want to change the aperture? Do you want to say the 2011 Mavs? Do you want to say this playoff run? Do you want to say beating the Heat? Is there a different way to position this thing to get it in? Should we just go with this lay? Is it better to go specific? The floor is yours. Does Dirk's lefty lay? Does this title? Does this moment belong in the first Bell Hall of Fame and why? Um, I do believe that it's the specificity of the moment matters because I trust that human beings are able to. Right. Take into the context of everything that surrounds it, right. which is, um, you know, which is which is why I think uh, we keep the moment because of what the moment means mm-hmm. um, for everything that came before and for the games that came after. Um, I don't think that <clears throat> we get Dirk crying in the locker room without this moment. I don't think, you know, we get uh, Sean Stevenson saying, hey, LeBron, where's my dirt? What's, you know, <laughs> without this moment. And so, and I'll go even step further. Like, as I said before, I don't know if, I don't know what kind of Heatles team we wind up getting. Right. You know, I don't know if we get those classic sort of Spurs heat things, if they just easily beat the Mavericks. Mm. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's such a meaningful moment, I think, um, again, for the legacy of Dirk, for the legacy of basketball, for the city of Dallas, for NBA fans at large. I, I, I just think the moment and what it means to everything else is why I would stick to the moment. You've made a very compelling case. It's time for the induction speech. I got to decide where this thing goes in. I was really, really hard on this. I was really, I want to be really, really hard on this. I think if you watch, if you look at the title, you, you kind of go, wait, which layup? Dirk had a couple big layups in that 2011. And then you go, oh, right, game two, he had the little hitch and he went past Bosh. And like, maybe you start piecing it together, but I don't know that it immediately sings. I don't know that it immediately screams off the page to you if I go Dirk's layup in 2011, right? I don't think that immediately means anything. 
But you've helped me realize by being so arduous and so entertaining, by the way, and really diving deep into all of the credentials and really tactically going through and presenting what makes this special. I am happy to be a 17-time champion with my Los Angeles Lakers, but if I only had one, I would want it to be exactly like this one. Dirk's layup. You're going into the first battle hall of fame. Congratulations. Jason Gallagher, Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Terry, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, all of you you had something to do with it. Uh, May your plaque hang on on the walls of the first battle hall of fame forever. Uh, How do you feel, Jason? You must be thrilled. Is this as big of a deal as the 2011 title? Honestly, I can finally, we can finally just rest. You know, I feel like Thanos at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done it. I've done it. (laughs) I first want to thank all my haters, you know. I want to, you know, the referee in the 2006 NBA Finals who really fucked us, Bennett Salvatore. This one goes to you. (laughs) We did it. Dwayne Wade had 97 free throws in the 2006 Finals. It was rough, brother. It was ghastly. It was. You it was, can't uh, even believe it. Ninety-seven free throws in six games. Yeah, it was. It was not fun to watch. Um, oh, and it was shit. actually. It was actually torture. It was genuinely torture. That's what. That's what I would describe it. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for being on the show. What can you? What are you working on? What can you plug? How can people follow you and support you? Um, well, I you know the old man of the three is something that is very near Phenomenal. and dear to my heart. Yeah, it is something right. that I I genuinely think if you love basketball. You'd be into it because it really does come from a very good place. A lot of people think that JJ has some sort of agenda with his hot takes, but uh, no, this is a guy who uh, is 99% of the time on NBA, you know, dot com slash stats, just like Amazing. digging in. Um, so we love that show. We have some fun so episodes good. coming up. And then I have some projects that I can't really announce yet, but, um, you know, if you see it, I would greatly appreciate that you support it. Um, because. We have to support this guy. You're really talented. You're a really bright guy. I might. I mean, I thought you were funny before this, but I didn't know how bright you are. You're a very bright guy. I really appreciate what you did. Yeoman's work. You really forced this thing in. This thing shouldn't be in my Hall of Fame. You got it in from the Yeoman's work that you did in this episode. Jason Gallagher, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. Thank you. That's it. That's the show. Jason Gallagher is a killer. Completely recontextualized this title for me. I'm sure my fellow Laker fans are not happy that I put this into the first Bell Hall of Fame. Listen, Jason was excellent on this episode. I think of this title completely differently now. I always thought Jason was good. I honestly, I didn't. He Very bright, that guy. And great on a pod. Thanks to Jason. We've got a big broken backboard debate going on over on our socials at first ballot pod on twitter at first ballot hof on instagram i realize those should be the same follow at ball is life as well we're doing a little giveaway for the pod in that episode the broken backboard episode so check out our social for details wanted to thank at nba records on instagram for being such a great follower and listener and supporter of ours i really appreciate you and your patronage it does honestly mean a lot i love your work as well we're family now. More family. The crew. Robbie Rarucci is the editor. Jessica Sang is the captain of the ship. EJ Cabasal is the new guy. David Ashramsky is my uh, Ball's Life Overlord. And Rhythm J makes all the beats. Follow him on social at Rhythm J. Rate and review it. And please come back next week for more First Ballot. With one of the most incredible comebacks in NBA Finals history. 